Hello and welcome to Uncaged. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's having a good Yuletide season. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope everybody's keeping well and is full of Christmas cheer and festivities. And Yule Log and Sausage Rolls. Hello everyone, it's Stu. So we just thought we'd do a quick bonus podcast during the, what I like to call the perineum of the year. <laughs> the bit between Christmas and New Year. Just something to keep you tidying over. Matt wanted us to discuss a film which I had tricked myself into thinking I'd already seen, but I actually hadn't. And we're here to discuss Falling Down. Matt, take the lead. Tell us why you wanted us to uh, sit through this film. I think it was one of these films where actually I explained it to people. It's one of those classics. Have you seen Falling Down? No, never heard of it. And I couldn't believe that the majority of my friends people that listen to this podcast they've never heard of falling down and it's recently come on to netflix so i just really wanted to mull it over with you guys and actually give it the uncaged treatment and, and we dissect it a little bit and talk about it from a semi take the piss view and <laughs> kind of just like dig into it really and, and and mull it over i mean on its very very essence it's a it's a it's a vigilante film but it's actually so much more um, it's about a, a man who's simply just absolutely had enough of the society he lives in and goes his most basic form on a rampage. It escalates kind of throughout one one day. Um, but there's so much more to it, and I think it's it's going to be interesting to talk it through. Really, did you guys watch a trailer or anything before, Andrew? Did you did you go in blind? I went in completely with no idea at all what it was even about. Um, mm. as, as per usual with, with things like this, I mean, when you mentioned the title, the first thing that came to mind was Rising Damp, and I thought, is this a spin-off of Rising Damp? <laughs> no, <laughs> obviously it's not, and I had literally never heard of it before, ever. Mm-hmm. And when you said it was, when you said, oh, Falling Down's on Netflix now, and we both said, what? <laughs> at the same, <laughs> me and Andy said at the same time, because just one of them blank spots completely for me. Um, yeah. But I've got to say, to be fair to them, the the quality of the transfer onto Netflix is absolutely incredible. It's it's like a, it's proper. It could have been filmed today. How good mm. the actual quality mm. of the the image is. It's superb, and that's not just me watching it on super screen and all the usual stuff. Um, but yeah, I was went in with a completely open mind, having no clue what it was even what genre it was even off. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed myself. It was mm. great. Did you? What I mean, did you know I, about I, it, Andy? Going into I, it. So I I remember it being on the trailers or yeah on the trailers for videos back in the nineties that you'd get from your your local rental store. So I kind of knew it was about a man who lost his rag and took it out on the world. That was pretty much all I knew. I I, I vaguely remember the trailer being set in the car, which only turns out to be a tiny portion mm. of the film. But I remember a lot about that scene in particular. That was what the the trailer was played on, from what I remember. The fly irritating him, stuck in a hot car. And that's really all that stuck with me. Everything else that happens after, that was all pretty much new to me. Mm. But it, like, it's become such... See, now, Stu doesn't, had never heard of it, but I know this film because I feel that it's become part of the society's conscious, almost. Yeah. You hear people saying that they've had that falling down moment mm, where yeah, yeah, yeah. the world's just got on top of them and, you know, that, that's it. They're, they're on the edge. They're about to go postal, if you will. So it's 
it's almost like if you've not seen Spinal Tap, you know what turning it up to 11 means. Yes. Yeah. It's that sort of thing for me. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's interesting because films of that era, so like 93, they have a real horrible tendency. And I'll have to go back and check if Falling Down has this in the trailer where even if a film has like a proper serious tone to it, they'll really turn me off by having a heavy amount of narration in a trailer. Um, and it'll usually be like 20th Century Fox presents <laughs> falling down a man at the end of his tether. That kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas actually the, the inner world thing at the beginning. Yeah. Like less is more yeah. in these scenarios. Um, one thing that like I immediately get from this is Michael Douglas looks like absolute shit throughout the whole thing. And I, I when I think of Michael Douglas, I think it's quite a suave character, well-spoken and, and he, You'd never like say if this was the only like film you'd ever seen him in, you'd never think he could play those characters because he <laughs> he plays this kind of real straight laced, not stuck up, but um kind of by the book American citizen really well. Um and there's there's moments in it and in with his dialogue when he's like well, I suppose we'll get onto this, but when when he's talking, he makes a really compelling argument for the for the things that he does, even in its in his <laughs> most extreme. I don't know how you guys feel about it. I mean, like to, to, for anyone that hasn't watched it, he escalates in an almost Grand Theft Auto style way of advancing through weaponry. Like first he starts, <laughs> yeah, exactly. first he does. So like first he starts with um with a baseball bat, then like a pen knife, pocket knife kind of thing, or what do they call it? a switchblade? Is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, up to uh, like a an Uzi and handguns ends up with a fucking bazooka. So it's like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I don't know about how you guys felt, but I thought actually the pacing of the film was really good. It never felt rushed, but it never dragged on for me. I don't know how it felt for you. No, I think that's a spot on uh, analogy for it. Actually, the the pacing was perfect because it escalates and it does speed up as it goes along, but it never it never runs ahead of itself and it never drags behind. It's really well paced. And you had the stuff with the um, I mean, I for the first five minutes I thought, oh, this is interesting. If it is going to be, well, obviously I've no no clue. If it was just going to be about the people in the cars, so you mm. had the and. You could how it was shot was inc- I mean it was incredible because how he, you felt tense being that close in on people as well yeah yeah it was zoomed in on his face and you could see the sweat beads and stuff and then you went to the uh, the school bus that looked like um, one of them cattle trucks with the sheep hanging out the side that you see on the <laughs> motorways but just with kids and, and then you had the the pensioners on the on the uh, car phone and I thought well this is you can imagine how stressful this is going to be automatically but then yeah. and. Because it was, I mean, we haven't even mentioned it yet. The other story about the uh, the cop, how you had his es- you had the escalation of him, kind of, and then it cut to the cop's life, and then he came back and he was doing even, something even more crazy, and that yeah, worked perfectly. Yeah. Hmm. And how often, you know, have we have we said that? Like, I think we spoke about when we spoke about last Christmas, like ironically, like not comparing the two of these, but. You know, like we, we've got two story arcs that are given equally enough time and depth. Um, and I think, so what was interesting about this film for me, when I studied this at university, um, it was heavy when I was really into looking at masculinity in film or the lack thereof in Robert Duvall's character's case. Um, and I think it was just really interesting, like his character arc compared to then um, 
William or, or for the sake of it, um, Douglas's character, just about how like men in this film are represented. Like, first of all, everyone's really fucking rude to each other <laughs> for one, but just this, this, the way that men are presented in this film is so, it's so relevant even now. I really think in that what is considered like masculine and macho really doesn't matter. Like that what, what are considered like the most manly, the most manly people in this film are absolute scumbags for the majority. Of yeah. Them. They're the worst. They're they? the worst of people. Um, I don't know. It's the, the, like it's kind of like the the more Robert Duvall's character um, becomes himself and becomes more of a man, the more he loses his niceness and what probably makes him quite a sweet character, just to become more like it is Heston, isn't it? It is Heston, yeah. there. more more like Heston, who is a dick, basically. Mm. Um, but yeah, so so one of the things I wanted to ask you guys how you felt about it was. He's a vigilante. We've seen loads of vigilante um, films in the past, anti-heroes and the like. Does anything that he does, does anything he does, does anything that happens in this film that is at his hands not justified? Because as far as I'm concerned, (laughs) nearly everything that he does had a complete justification. So he didn't do anything to anybody that didn't deserve it. Yeah, well, he, he ran away from his car because he was pissed off. He almost got stabbed, so he defended himself. He nearly got God knows what the uh, the Nazi was going to do to him. So fair play again. <laughs> <laughs> that was a Pulp Fiction moment. That yeah. was, wasn't yeah, it? Yes, hundred percent. The um, the posh twats at the golf club. Again, he didn't do anything directly to them, but they got what they deserved. So yeah, I mean, he's in a kind of twisted way. Then you're you're right. Obviously, what I find quite interesting is a few years prior to this film, Michael Douglas was in Wall Street. Mm. Greed is good. Everything he's railing against in this film is exactly what Gordon Gecko was trying to get in Wall Street. Yeah. The march of progress, the rise of capitalism. So when he is um, assaulting the Korean shop owner, for example, that that's completely like that was indefensible. Mm-hmm. He's complaining about the fact that things are more expensive now. Unfortunately, that's just the way of the world. Yeah, yeah. He was comparing it to like the 1960s prices. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, in 1960s, they would have been complaining about the prices compared to the 40s. Yeah, or, yeah. Mm. Obviously, with the war, I know it's a bit different, but we're talking about the, the march of progress. And then there's obviously the issue surrounding the multiculturalism. The problems with the Hispanic people, it was, it was quite racist in parts. Do you think it, it was wasn't though, just? Do you, do you oh. think? Do you think he was a racist? No, no, that's no. Do you think that, as far as I'm concerned, he was, in the way of what many old older people are like in that. They're they're okay with it, but grumble underneath kind of thing. Whereas he's not he's not he doesn't like directly use racial slurs, does he? Or he doesn't directly like call out the Korean guy for the war or anything like that. As far as I'm aware, well, he says go in, in my country and what we we pay mm, for you and stuff like that. Th- yeah, yeah, yeah. 
the two things. Um, firstly, he, he says, do you not have the letter V in your language? Uh, which I don't think in Korea they have a direct okay. translation. But, I mean, that's minor. But in 1993, off the back, I believe it was the LA riots, there were problems with the Korean community okay. because I believe there was a Korean bodega owner who didn't defend or, or sold out a young black girl that was contributed to the the riots that happened. Mm-hmm. So the Korean community got a lot of shit off the back of that. So the subtext, obviously, with 27 years later, you're not going to know these things. But at that time, there was a racial element in mm. casting someone who would have been of Korean descent. And what was that? So there, there was that story there. What was that film? Uh, I, I completely forgot it in my head again. Remember the one that I watched um, a few months ago from the director who made uh, The Five Bloods? Yeah, I, I was going to get onto that film in a bit. Um, it's uh, Do the Right Thing, yeah, which the, is again, exactly the same as it, this. Yeah. In a heat wave, being pissed off, multicultural yeah. area. And it, a lot of it's, I think a lot of it's just, it's not racial, it's just gang warfare. And he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. And mm. it reminded me of a bit of a film that I, I know not many people are going to have seen called Driller Killer, which is another, it's a, a terrible shitty B movie from years ago, probably the late 70s in the kind of a video nasty era, where it's a guy who, who just, again, just loses it and goes around drilling tramps heads in. But it's a similar kind of thing. He just he just flips. He's just had enough mm. of his mm. life, and he goes around. And in his in his world, tramps are the problem. Yeah, the homeless. Mm. And he goes around well, drilling. Well, this is the thing. Like, whether you agree with what he does throughout the film or not, at the time, and even even as relevant now, I think he's basically an embodiment of like American and American culture and American um, American mm-hmm. tension. If what if what is still quite sadly twenty seven years on still going on in America at the minute, and it's really uncomfortable because you've got somebody that is so adamant that he's right in everything that he's doing and has the un unwavering right to do whatever he likes because he's an American that that he is completely un it's unfathomable to think that he's doing wrong. Mm. And yes, there are a lot of people that are, that are rude to him and everything throughout and do do bad by him. But it's 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 it, it's it's for me. It's amazing that twenty seven years on, it's just as relevant. Mm. I think the telling scene in this whole film is right towards the end, when he's face to face with Duval, um Prendergast, when he says, "I'm the bad guy." Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Because at no point has in throughout this entire film has he realised that what he's doing is bad. He pulled out a gun for absolutely no reason in the middle of a McDonald's rip off. <laughs> and to him, that's perfectly acceptable because he was three minutes late for a breakfast. So why can't I have a breakfast? Yeah, it's just been. In- and at no point did he think, actually, this is a bad thing to be doing. It's just been entitled. I mean, we've all been in places like that where, I mean, especially, I mean, it happens in where well, there's all the time when people turn up at, te- at like two minutes past twelve to can have a breakfast. Now, it's 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 not like it's it's been the same for the last fifteen years. That well, it used to be off eleven. Now it's twelve, but it's the same point. People know the rules, but they'll always push it as far as they possibly can, and it's never mm-hmm. anyone's fault but their own. Yeah, but the world is against them because yeah. the world owes them something. Yeah, I mean, and it, that's what it felt like with him. I think with him having that kind of that 
flat top kind of action man Jojo haircut as well <laughs> that never mm. moves. I think it's the mm. embodiment of the kind of the American, the all American hero that you kind of think of the early nineties for. Yeah, that kind of, that kind of look about him. I mean, the fact that mm. his tie stays on for the whole film as well. <laughs> well, it's funny because like what what I really liked about this film is that it harks back to. Um, the mantra of the Joker in that one bad day can set you off. Um, yeah. And what I also think actually harks back to really nicely is the latest Joker in that actually, is this, a, is this actually a depiction of an indictment about mental health disorders? Because there's clearly something not right about him, um, Douglas' mm-hmm. character. And actually, has has society failed him or is he failing society in his actions and i think there's like you could there's so many actual things that this film covers that i think it, it, you have to watch it a couple of times really to, to to take each point so i wrote a list of them down i mean victim culture for one um mm. race xenophobia white supremacy consumerism capitalist critique emasculation mental health and disorders just to name a few that are like touched on as, as themes in this film and the one thing that got me on this 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 viewing for me actually was in terms of like victim culture. So when the police are um, questioning his wife and then she's made, she's filed a restraining order, but there's no physical evidence that he's actually harmed anybody. Mm. The way that the police are questioning her. Now, I don't mind saying this. It makes me sound like the villain. At first, I was like, well, she's got no fucking proof. Like, you know what I mean? How can we do this to people? We can't stop people seeing their kids because of this. But then the more you think about it, like, well, actually, why, you know, why should we have a ticking time bomb until somebody clearly goes postal like he does? But it does, it does, this film does force you to ask these questions to yourself. Were there any kind of themes that you guys had picked up on that actually were uncomfortable because of it? We saw it later on as well when he's watching the video of himself being just a nasty Mm -hmm. bastard. Yeah. yeah. he's, He's, like torturing his daughter because he bought, I bought that horse. She's gonna be on it. <laughs> what the mm-hmm. fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. He's, he's clearly not right, and the fact that he has got a restraining order against him, and he's he keeps ringing up and just heavy breathing down the phone and not saying anything to her. Mm-hmm. You think because there was bits of it like when he, when the uh, the drive by happened and he didn't get touched by any bullets. And I thought, hang on a minute, I ain't gonna get caught out again. Is he a ghost? And after last after last Christmas, I thought. <laughs> <"Nah."> <laughs> Is this all? Is this is this one of them things where, like American Psycho, is it real? Is it in his head, or that mm. he's actually been a bastard to everyone, and he's mm. just a really sad bloke, and he's going to be in his car all the whole time? I mean, this is what I was thinking. I mean, this is what you've done to me. You're getting me questioning things now. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, he's just a bit of a lunatic who's on a on a quest of his own making, mm. and yeah, you look at the like you did say like about the masculinity things, and you got the um. The other guy in the police station as well, who, who gets twatted at the, into the cake later on. And you yeah. think, oh, so she could have done that to him when she was um, on the phone to Prendergast yeah. in the first place. But there was a lot of a lot of themes like that way. Growing a pair, like he's he's had these thoughts and he's finally acted on him. Mm-hmm. Prendergast has got had these thoughts and he was doing it for his wife and he was had enough of her and now he's just oh fuck it, I'm going to do what I want and I'm staying in the police force. And there's a lot of these kind of things where, like, she's had enough and she leaves, she runs out of the house 
being stupidly to somewhere that where he's going to find her, which is obviously damsel in distress 101. <laughs> but there's a lot of things. I mean, I've only watched it once. I watched it this afternoon, and I'll go that from that straight away. There's, there's mm-hmm. a lot of things of don't let things bubble under anymore, mm-hmm. and just just do it. Yeah, uh, one thing that stood out for me, and I don't think this is because this has become something um, de rigueur in in modern day cinema. The role of the antihero in films. Mm. There are some antiheroes that you see, and they're admirable. Like you, you actually like they might do bad things, but for good reasons. And I was halfway through this film and I started to feel uneasy because I thought if they try and present him as being the hero at the end of this, yeah. when he's doing all of these appalling acts, I was really struggling about halfway through. And then something just clicked. and I thought that it's not because this isn't him picking on specific individuals. This is him picking on caricatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is very much, um, it's, a, it's almost reading a comic book. Like the, the characters are so big and over the top. So I thought it did change my reading of the film. And the saving grace was definitely that line I mentioned about, am I the villain? Because he realises then he's the bad guy, not the anti-hero. He's just the villain. Yeah, there's, there's, it's really interesting you say that, actually, because one um, one comparison that I made when I was like studying this film and everything was that it, uh, let's presume that everything is intentional in direction. You know, this is the same guy that's done 8mm, so let's you know let's <laughs> let's presume that let's presume that everything that he's done is intentionally. The fact that he pulls out a water pistol um, as his final weapon of choice is 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 an emasculation. We've actually shown that he isn't he isn't the embodiment of a real man. He's firing blanks, if anything. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Prendergast, who is now the man, the man, he's the big bad boss who's calmly you know he, he's he, he's won the shootout, he's won the duel, he's got a bullet, he's got a real gun. Um, and I just think that was a nice like touch there to show that actually he this guy isn't a hero as much as he believes what he's doing is justified. He's he's firing blanks, essentially. Um mm. and I just think like the character all the character arcs that come to a head do it in a really nice organic way. And I think um I think it was put really nicely together. That's not to say this film isn't without its flaws. Um I think like the portrayal of women in the in the film is is horrendous. To be honest, in that yeah. they they are there, they're not sexualized so much as like the slaves. Yeah, like mm. they're either like pathetic, um, needy, psychopathic bunny boilers, or they're not equal to men in their roles. So you don't have like a man like the the, the woman in the, the the McDonald's ripoff. She's just a, a clerk who actually, for a split second, looks like she's attracted to. To Michael Douglas's character, um, yeah. or you get the you get the cop who's having to prove herself constantly all the time, and the fact that she's Hispanic as well. Throw that in there as well, just to downgrade her that little bit more, because that's essentially what it is. Um, there's and like the 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 mom, or the or the ex wife as well. She's constantly reliant on 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 the police, and especially the male police as well. So I think that the females are really um, ba- badly portrayed in this film, but I don't know if that's because they're pushing this masculinity thing the, so the much. Only, sorry, Matt. The only character who was sexualized was Prendergast's wife, mm-hmm. and she was sexualized because she's no longer attractive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And that's why she's gone a little bit loopy because she's not an attractive woman anymore because she's middle-aged. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, what a fucking appalling comment to put out there. Really poor. Mm. So, yeah, that that's far and away the worst thing about the film is definitely the portrayal of women in it. It doesn't doesn't look good at all, to be honest. And then you go you go from women to the uh, to the gay couple. <laughs> mm. I mean, you couldn't get more stereotypical than a, a one one guy looking relatively normal normal next to his partner who's wearing a black vest and all oiled up in a gun shop. Mm. You think it's it's, yeah. it's like a, it is like a film version of GTA, but it's not a parody. Yeah. And and it's absolutely right. It's caricatures of 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 of, of people, isn't it? It's just the extreme ends of like yeah. uh, of different like groups and ethnicities and and, and and races and things like that. Um, but I really like you know I really enjoyed. it. I'm glad you we, you guys watched it and and had a chance to kind of go over it and and do something a little different because rightly or wrongly I don't think there's many of the Nick Cage films that we've watched that have actually had a too much in terms of depth. In terms of like societal, putting society under the microscope kind of thing. I mean, I suppose Left Behind did, in a way, about how like crazy, like you know, crazy people are who have religion. Um, was there any kind of takeaways from the film that, like, if you were to recommend it to somebody, what would be like your elevator pitch for it if you were going to try and try and sell it to someone to watch? I, I would use what you said about it's. It's GTA. It's like San Andreas the film. <laughs> it's it's set in the early nineties. It's about a guy, a white guy who goes mad and levels up, <laughs> as far as you can say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And goes crazy. There's quite ridiculous scenes. There's there's a bit of heart in it as well. You got massively over the top characters like the um like the um the redneck. <laughs> and mm-hmm. actually, we can link this because there was a Santa cutout in the gun shop. But he did have a Nazi symbol on his arm, so it's kind of it's not the same. <laughs> there's your Christmas link, anyway. But mm. the um, yeah, well, that's what you recommended. Just just go and watch it because it's. I mean, how do you even categorize it? What is it? It's an action thriller, maybe. I suppose in, in a way. Thriller, mm. Yeah, I suppose. I think if I was going to sell it to you, I would have two separate ones. I would have one to sell it to Stu, and I'd have one to sell it to you, Matt. <laughs> if it, it, to Stu, I would just go with completely... I would liken it to something like Crank, because it, without the out, outright comedic elements, it's similar to Crank, it's one man on a mission. He's the bad guy, really, but he justifies his own actions, and it's sort of like... It's basically either a comic book or a computer game. If I was going to sell it to you, though, Matt, I would tell you that it's a microcosm of America, that actually it's got some socio-political messages that deep delve deeper into some of these ideologies that it's coming up with. Very so nice. I think, as you said before we started recording, this is something that you can go as deep or as shallow into this movie as you want. Mm-hmm. There's something there, like wherever you are on that spectrum. And it's funny because... Um... I don't mean that's an insult at all, Stu. I just know that you like <laughs> crazy over-the-top stuff. <laughs> a film like, you know, in terms of this film's influence, like I hadn't even I hadn't even put two two together when you said that falling down moment. Like yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't I. put two two together in that, but you're absolutely right, 100%. Mm-hmm. But like, as I mentioned before, there's a comedy film that like takes off the piercing in um, Alan Partridge's Alpha Popper. <laughs> And it's like it's not like scene for scene or anything, but it's you know massively 
massively influenced, if not plagiarised by 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 this end scene because of the man who who is just tipped over the edge by the company that he works for, trying to usher him out into a new era. And I'm talking about Arthur Popper now, not falling down. Um, and I just love that, that that film has not so quietly taken elements from from this film. And mm. I think I think it's just uh, it's just a nice like closing touch for me that this film still has like cultural references like to this day. Mm. And of course, the other massive touchstone, it was referenced in The Simpsons. So there's the episode, yes, Homer's course. Enemy, yeah, with Frank Grimes, yeah, who kills Grimes, himself. Grimesy, all great. Yeah, it yeah. even had the, the square head and everything like it. Oh, I and I think that. That, that's how you know you've made it as a cultural touchstone, is yeah, it yeah. gets referenced in The Simpsons. Did you think that it, it was a bit Terminator-like as well, in parts? Where how he was shot, like he was this unstoppable force, and that you had yeah. the kind of like the, the late eighties synth music soundtrack it's a part in the background as well. Yeah, I thought, that's yeah. what we needed. Just the uh, mm. yeah, but I, I'm really glad we sat down and watched this because it's something that I'd always thought about getting to one day and never. I'd probably have never got round to it unless mm. we was going to do it for something like this. So I'm really glad that. You decided you told us to watch it, Matt. Yeah, really no, thanks. It. I mean, you know, going forward as well with these uncaged episodes, it really is kind of uncaged, unbarred, unplanned. <laughs> like there isn't like like no rules really in terms of like you know we're going to watch things that aren't necessarily related to Nick Cage and in any capacity. Like this does actually have a like a direct link in terms of Joel Schumacher and a and a, and a direct a director link. But um, you know, if there's any, if you guys are listening to this, is anything that you like us to cover as well. Let us know on Twitter or in an email, and you know I'm sure we'll get around to it and put our um, put our spin on things. But no, thank you guys for listening. Really, really appreciate it. Yep, super. Thank you very much. Um, so, like I said, just enjoy the rest of your Christmas time, and we'll see you in the new year. So, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. Stay safe. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Yeah, just remember, you leave the skin on the chicken. it's goodbye from me and remember be excellent to each other